You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. When you and I competed in spelling bees as youngsters, all we had to do was spell the words we were given, right? Right. We didn't have to say anything about the meaning of the words. But that's about to change Uh, for the Scripps National Spelling Bee. For the first time in their 86-year history, participants won't just have to spell words in front of an audience. They'll have to take a computer-based vocabulary test beforehand, and that's going to help determine who gets in the final rounds. So the vocabulary test doesn't show up in the competition on stage in front of the cameras, right? Oh, because I was worried it'd be like a three-day cricket match and go on forever. (laughs) No, it's it's, um, multiple choice questions. Okay. Uh, You know, you see the word in a sentence and you have to guess what it means. And if you fail this, then you don't make it to the big competition. Well, it counts for 50% of of all the points that you're tallying. And when I heard that, I thought, great, that's fantastic. Let's talk about the etymology. Let's talk about the meaning of the words. Why, Why are people just using brute memorization for this As if they're just strings of characters, just yeah, like these, yeah, these non-functional widgets. Exactly, exactly, mm-hmm. objects. And so I was all excited about this, and I was taken aback by all the resistance to it that I saw in discussions online. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of people are arguing, hey, the spelling bee is great the way it is, and why should we add this burden to uh, students? And I just think, well... Why not? Well, if you've been mastering the language, the spelling of words for three or four years, and you're a kid, yeah. now you have a whole new task in front of you if you haven't also been mastering the vocabulary. Or or as I've seen some kids saying, well, it's not going to be that much of a problem for me because I've been memorizing Greek and Latin roots yeah. to better know how to spell words yeah. and prefixes and suffixes and so forth. Yeah. So yeah. for some, some kids are like, okay, a little more work, but I'm, I'm up for it. I would hope that for those kids it would be like, oh, boy, look at all the presents. Now I get to open them. <laughs> <laughs> Not everyone has that response. Well, uh, yeah, apparently a lot of people are saying, why add this uh, this extra work for kids? They're already working so hard to uh, to memorize them. Very interesting. Yeah, but my favorite response online was that somebody was saying, yeah, yeah, the spelling bee is charming, sort of a, a charming anachronism, but if you really want to jazz it up, you should combine the National Spelling Bee with the Hunger Games. <laughs> <laughs> and the tribute from San Diego. <laughs> well, we'd love to know what you think. Should students have to be accountable for the vocabulary as well as just spelling the words? Well, in competition anyway. In competition, yeah. 877-929-9673 is the number to call. And you can email us at words at waywardradio.org and find us on Facebook and Twitter. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, Grant. This is Julia calling from Portland, Oregon. How are you guys? Julia from Portland. Well, welcome to the show. Hi, Julia. We're super duper. Hi, Martha. What's cooking? What can we help you with? Well, I had a question about an expression that I learned about from um, a sci-fi fantasy show that you might be familiar with called Stargate SG-1. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You're Do you know all of sure. my, my geek cred here, right? Um, <laughs> so it's a, about an, a pack of Air Force folks, and they have an expression that is, I got your six. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I take it to mean that it means that I have your back. Mm-hmm. And I was curious about where that came from. You know, I I thought it was such an interesting expression, and I couldn't put it together. And I actually did a little research and still couldn't find out any information. Hmm. Um, This is the television show with Richard Dean Anderson, right? Yeah, it is. (laughs) Okay, so they're 
Air Force folks uh, thrown into this weird kind of intercultural relationship with people who use time portals or something like that, right? Yes, in fact, I think you've seen it. Maybe, once or twice. I liked the reboot a lot. <laughs> There's Gransky, cred. I have no idea what you're talking about. I liked about. the reboot a lot with Robert Carlyle. But so, so what you've got here is this weird mix of jargon, but... Um, what are the circumstances in which they would use this term? So, uh, what, they're going out on a mission, and when does this come up? Right, so they're going out on a mission, and maybe they're pinned down by the bad guys, and um, someone's got to make a break for it, and somebody else will shout, I've got your six. Okay. And so I just, I take that to mean, you know, I'm, I'm watching out for your back. Exactly. Yeah, yeah it does. Um, look at a clock, an analog clock. Put yourself where the hands cross and face the 12. The six is right behind you. Right. And so that's your six. That's your six. It's like if you're at at a party and you say, you know, there's a cute guy at two o'clock, you know. That's right. (laughs) Then you look forward and a little bit to your right. Exactly. Yeah. And what's going to happen now? A lot of people are going, oh, because this comes up in TV shows all the time and in movies all the time and they don't explain it. They just assume that you know or that you. You know, just pass it off as jargon. And now it's going to be a little clearer what's happening. So they'll say, I need you at two and you at four and I need you to hold back here at seven. Right. And this is just positioning yourself in order to take on the enemy. Right. Totally makes sense. Yeah. And then and then military, that that piece of, of being able to clearly see based on a clock. Right. Right. And it, right. it probably simple... comes from aviation originally. Right. And sometimes pilots say to each other, check six, which means watch your back or be careful. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. okay. Yeah, it probably yeah. first arose in the early part of the last century as, as a jargon in aviation. You've got these people who are now lifted up off the ground and kind of have to consider the world in a little different way. Um, you might not be fully cognizant of uh, left and right or up and down because you're in an airplane where these things matter a little less, Right. Right. Yeah, so the etymology is really clear on that one, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. no, I love it. That's great. Well, Julia, thanks for taking time out of your busy uh, (laughs) video-watching day to uh, call us. We got your six. (laughs) You guys are awesome. Thank you so much. Cheers to you. All right, take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 877-929-9673. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, Grant and Martha. This is Kelsey calling from Houston, Texas. Hi, Kelsey. Welcome. Hi, Kelsey. How's everything in Houston? Doing well, thanks. Um, I'm calling about a term that my father uses. Most of the time when someone mentions there being a hole in something, someone will say, like, oh, there's a hole in my shoe or a hole in the wall over there. And he'll say, usually off the cuff, a whole hole or a half a hole. And my question kind of has two parts. Um, First, have you heard anyone else ever using this? Or is it just something that my father says, which could be entirely possible? Or, and um, secondly, uh, my younger sister and my wife both have a problem with this. They maintain that there's no such thing as a half of a hole. Uh, they say that if it's a hole, it's a hole. Like, you can't have half of one. It's a hole regardless of the size. My response is, well, if it's a morbid example, but if you're digging a grave and you're halfway done, it's half of a hole. And my wife says, no, that's half of the hole. So I'm kind okay. of looking for validation on my part and wondering if anyone else has ever used it. Okay. Kelsey, this reminds me of somebody I, I used to know who, anytime you said well, he would say, that's a deep subject for such a shallow mind. You know, it's like... <laughs> did he use well, My the father show? did the same thing, so... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, what does that do? Just stop down 
<laughs> I mean, do, do you get into this discussion every time he says that, or do you just roll your eyes, or what? I have started repeating it. I'm a little bit too much like him for my taste, but ah. I suppose that <laughs> apple doesn't, like the apple doesn't far fall from the tree. Yeah, right, I know. right. Yeah. <laughs> a whole apple. Except if it's or... on a hill. <laughs> so the first question is easily taken care of, right? Right. You probably Googled this, Kelsey, right? Uh, actually, no, I didn't. I was hoping y'all could answer it. <laughs> well, Very good. We Googled that for you, <laughs> and it turns out that this comes up again and again. It is a joke that certain people use Repetitively, they like the joke because it has that nice homophonic mm-hmm. kind of dissimulation mm-hmm. there where for a moment you're confused until your brain sorts out which hole is met. Yeah, a whole hole or half a hole. Yeah. And then it prompts discussions like the ones your family has. Yeah, so yeah, people use it. I don't know that it's widespread. It, perhaps it popped up in a comedy routine in the 50s. I don't know. It kind of reminds me of the safe family comedy. Well, speaking of, it reminds me of, um, are you familiar with the book Make Way for Ducklings, the little children's book by Robert McCloskey? I think I've seen that, actually. Yeah, oh, I used to love that. Do, do you I know? Don't. I haven't heard of it, now. Okay, well, Robert McCloskey wrote a whole lot of children's books, and he wrote a whole series called uh, that happened to do with a guy named Homer Price back in the 1950s. And huh. um, there's one book where he's got this big donut machine that keeps making oh, all yeah, these donuts. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Do you remember yeah, this? Yeah, And there's a crazy poem in one of these things that I don't know if this has anything to do with it or not, but I wanted to share it with you okay. guys. Um, part of the poem goes... There's no nuts in you-know-whats. In a whole donut, there's a nice whole hole. When you take a big bite, hold the whole hole tight. If a little bit bitten or a great bit bitten, any hole with a hole bitten in it is a holy whole hole and just plain isn't. <laughs> we have to put that on the website because that's confusing. Yeah, I know. I'm already confused. But I, want, I mean, it says same kind of playfulness with language and goofy humor and, and from the 50s. So that leads us to the question, can you have a half a hole? Oh, We're talking no. half of an H-O-L-E. And, this is a question for on being. And I, and I have a couple things. This reminds me, for example, it's like being kind of pregnant, right? Or it's like being too rich. Uh-huh. And it's also when somebody asks you if you're asleep and you say yes. <laughs> <laughs> There's like, it's not, you can't have both states, right? That's good. It's, it's actually binaries that are treated as, as gradations. That's kind of the problem here. <laughs> I think you can have half a hole, but it's still also a hole. Well, I, th- a whole I think hole. your point is well taken about a grave. If yeah. you've only got it half, yeah. you know. Uh, otherwise, the arm's going to be sticking out. <laughs> that hole needs to be a certain depth. I shouldn't see yeah. the top of the casket, really. Oh, man. But there's other kinds of half holes, right? If you need a particular depth of a hole and yeah. it's only three inches deep when it should be six, then, you know, you're, you're not going to be able to put your chair together, right? It's half of a hole. That's right. Yeah. I think your wife's quibbling about the article with the it's half of the hole is, is um, <laughs> irrelevant, actually. It's still half of a hole. Oh, I'm sure she won't be happy to hear that. <laughs> I'm sure she's lovely. She's probably a wonderful woman. Just give her my compliments. She I'm just, married you, right? Yes, there we go. But still, like, yeah, don't get fixated on the, you know, don't get fixated on the article Oh, it's there. fun. <laughs> yeah. It's fun, okay. isn't it? See how much fun it's we're It's all in good humor. Yeah. Right, yeah, 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 right. Yeah. But, but you know what we should do? We should, I think you need to memorize this poem so the next time yeah. you feel compelled to be your father, yeah. when you feel your fatherness coming on, just recite this poem instead. <laughs> or to your father. I think that'd be great. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. double down on him. Say, oh, yeah? Well, I got one for you. Yeah, have a good one, Dad. <laughs> Kelsey, good question. We loved it. Thank you so much. Our pleasure. Right. Thank Did you for we listening. Help? I don't think we helped. Oh, yes. It helped immensely. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Take care now. All right. Bye-bye. 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 <laughs>
I came across a quotation from Montaigne recently that I liked. It goes, a man who fears suffering is already suffering from what he fears. Ah, very good. Isn't that great mm-hmm. for this day and age when there's so much fear around? And mm-hmm. it's a great example of chiasmus, right? That uh, rhetorical structure where you invert a Perfect. statement. And it comes from the Greek letter chi, oh, which is shaped like an X, Two bars right? crossing, a yeah, path, yeah. a crossroads. Yeah. Yeah, but I like that. A man who fears suffering is already suffering from what he fears. Very good. So don't worry. Be Be happy. Happy. (laughs) 877-929-9673. Hop on the word bus as Away With Words continues. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett, and we've got a special guest, ladies and gentlemen, the return of Greg Pliska, our quiz guy. Greg! (laughs) Greg, hi, buddy! It's nice to be, nice to see you again. Hey, what have you been doing? Where have you been? Is there life after being the musical director for a... Tony-winning Broadway show? Yeah, but they put him in cryo-sleep, and they opened it up just for us. Just for you, exactly. They thawed my head out. It's actually just my head that's sitting here on the table. At the it studio. is the thaw that counts. Uh, well, I'd like to revisit a favorite puzzle of mine, which uh, I call Anishirithmetic. Ooh. Ooh, that's one of my favorites, too. I'll give you a clue to a set of items for which there are a particular number, but some of the words in my clue will be replaced with just their initials. So I might say there are 12 M in the Y, and then you would tell me what words starting with M and Y go in that sentence. Mm-hmm. 12 months in the year. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay, there are 12 good. months in the year. So we've done this before. I think you know how it works. Let's yeah, play. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Here's your first one. There are nine SF in one SY. Nine SF. In one S-Y. Boy. Um, oh, nine square feet in oh. a square yard. Oh. Exactly. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. Oof. Boy. This okay. is tough. Yeah. Here's another one for you. Nine C of H in the D-C by D. Oh, please. <laughs> nine C of H in the D-C by D. D? Boy. This is in the in your category, Martha. This is classics. Oh, it oh. is. Yeah. Oh yeah, they're uh, okay. The Divine Comedy by Dante. So it would be the Nine Circles of Hell. Very oh. good. Oh. Nine Circles of Hell in the Divine Comedy by yeah, Dante. Yeah, you had exactly. me going all the way Look back at to you. ancient Greece. And the, the third okay. circle of hell is reserved for puzzle guys like me. <laughs> <laughs> it should be farther down. I'll give you a coin. I'll give you a coin for the boat. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, there are ten P and three T. That make up C, and your category is geography. 10P and 3T that make up C, and our category is geography. Hmm. 
10 provinces and three territories that make up Canada. Whoa, exactly right. Good one. If for bonus, name them all. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> no. I'm sure you could, but uh, we don't have time. For we that. do not have time. It would take some time. <laughs> all right, here's a, here's a sports one for you 68T in the NCAA's MM. <laughs> 68 teams in the NCAA's March Madness. Oh, there you go. Martha, <laughs> so quick with the sports. Hey, it's basketball good. is a state religion where I grew up. Oh, you're right. You're Kentucky. right, it is. 31F sold at BR. 31F sold. 31 flavors At Baskin sold Robbins, at, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Right. right back to your childhood. Or back to yesterday. I don't know. Which <laughs> could be. Three B A O one by D D L. Three B A O one W O N. Yes, W O N by, by oh. D D L. Three um, best actor Oscars by Daniel Day Lewis. Correct. Ooh, Very good. Nice. Martha, knocking it out, lady. Just this year, Martha. Very good. All right, here's your next one. 56S on the USD of I. And I'll give you a hint. JH's is the L. (laughs) Oh, thanks. (laughs) Yeah, that was helpful. 56S's on the USD of L? D of I. D of I. 56S's on the USD of I. So is it stars? No. Signatures? No, that... 56 yes. signatures oh, on the U.S. Declaration of Independence? Perfect. That's right. And J.H.'s is the L. Oh, <laughs> John Hancock's is the largest. The exactly. Oh, you could just talk like this all day, Greg. <laughs> Good. You, next, next week you're going to do the whole show like this. <laughs> His kids hate him. <laughs> <laughs> all right. 4P depicted on MR. 4P, 4P. depicted on MR. Man Ray. No. no um, um, it's more specific than people. Four man. presidents oh. depicted on Mount Rushmore. Oh, oh and Martha steals at the last minute. <laughs> nice. Four presidents depicted on Mount Rushmore is correct. Um, I got one more for you. Okay. One more. There are 117 Y in the 100 YW. In the 100... 117 years in the 100 Years War? Yes. Exactly right. Awesome. Hey, Greg, thank you so much. And it's good to it's have you back, pleasure. buddy. It's good to be back. Thank you, guys. I don't even remember the name of the other guy anymore. Who? We had another guy? <laughs> we did, yeah, for a while. Oh. It doesn't matter. J.C. <laughs> Greg, hmm. we hope to see you again soon on the show, all right? Sounds good. I'll see you soon. Thanks, buddy. It was great. Take care. Bye-bye. We'd love to hear your questions about words and language, anything at all. 877-929-9673. Email us, words at waywardradio.org, and find us on Facebook and Twitter. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, Martha. This is Leslie Tweedy calling from Chicago. Hi, Leslie. Welcome. Hi, Leslie. Welcome to the show. What's going on? Well, I know you like workplace jargon, so I was calling with some bike shop slang. Bike shop, did you say? Yes. Do you work in a bike shop then? Yes, my husband and I own Roscoe Village Bikes in Chicago. Oh, great. Fantastic. Yeah. Good. I've become a bike rider myself recently. That's what I was thinking. It's the perfect time of year for it. (laughs) It definitely is. So so you run across all kinds of language related to bikes, just in repair jargon or the competition jargon, or what is it? 
Mostly repair jargon. Um, we do actually try to use the proper name of components for the mm -hmm. most part. Mm -hmm. um, just makes things easier. But uh, there are some things you may or may not have heard. Like, for example, a bike mechanic is called a wrench. A wrench. Okay, yeah, that conforms nice. to some that language that we see in some other industries. Mm-hmm. Another one we use with repairs is we talk about boomerang bikes mm -hmm. and how we don't want to see any boomerang bikes. Uh, are boomerang these, bikes. These are Tell us about that. Are these lemons that have to keep coming back for work? Exactly. It would be something that goes out the door and comes right back. So boomerang. if we change uh -huh. a flat tire um, and maybe we miss a tiny piece of glass and, you know, 20 minutes later the customer comes back and they say, hey, it's flat again, that's the last thing that we want. So we always talk to our mechanics about how we would not like to see any boomerang bikes. Mm -hmm. oh, very good. I could see that. Okay. Mm -hmm. Another one we use is JRA. So a customer will bring a bike in. Um, and do you have any ideas what JRA might be? <laughs> JRA um, the, for a bicycle. The Justice um, <laughs> something of America. I don't know. It's uh, just riding along. Um, nine times out of ten, customer comes in, some crazy mishap with the bike, and you say, "Oh my gosh, what happened?" Well, I was just riding along. And, you know, oh. yeah, so, you know, you'll give the bike to one of the mechanics and you'll say, he'll say, you know, what, what's going on here? Well, JRA. You know. Oh, interesting. <laughs> interesting. Now, do you know if that's industry-wide or is that just in your shop? I think that is industry-wide. I like that. JRA. Yeah, JRA. All, all bike repairs. Uh, let's see. Another one we have related to repairs. We wouldn't want to use this in a derogatory sense, but it's a bikochondriac. Oh. Bicochondriac, so that's somebody who brings in a bike and they're sure something is wrong with it, but you can't find anything wrong? Yes, um, <laughs> and maybe they sort of hear, they hear little squeaks and clicks and mm. grinds, mm. but if you test ride the bike, you just can't replicate it. Um, so we would only use this in a loving way, but it would be, um, you know, <laughs> More difficult. business for you, right? <laughs> yes, that is true. But These yeah. are all good. What else do you got? Um, a Frankenbike. Oh, yeah, sure. I bet you just take multiple pieces from multiple kinds of bikes and make one out of them? Exactly. We see a lot of these, so it's nothing you could find in a catalog. It's nothing that was ever stocked. An original, mm -hmm. a mutt. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And is that a positive or a, just yeah. a description? It's a bit of both. Mm -hmm. um, somebody might refer to their own bike as a Frankenbike mm. and be proud of the work that they put into right. it. Right, okay. Um, yeah. Oh, that's good. You know, I've got a couple terms. I've been collecting language for, I don't know, more than 10 years now, and I've come across a few terms. Let me see if I could quiz you on these, see if you know these. All right. I'll, I'll try my best. Do you know what to bonk means? Yeah. So to bonk would be if you're in a competition and you just kind of hit that wall. Oh, yeah. yeah. You've got nothing left. There's no second win, no third win. It's all done, right? Yeah. They sell yeah. bonk breakers, right? Those uh, high-energy bars. Oh, really? Yeah. There we go. Okay. Yeah. And then you probably know what a sag wagon is. Yes. It's a support vehicle. Mm -hmm. Right. So if oh, you yeah. bonk and you can't make it any further, the, sa <laughs> the sag wagon comes by and you climb aboard and throw your bike yeah. in there and you're done. Yeah. The one yeah. I like is door prize. Oh, yeah. Or to get doored, right? To get doored, yeah. You're biking along super fast, and somebody just flings out their driver's side door, and you go right into it. And then you do an endo, head over yeah. heels, right over oh, the top. Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I almost heard it called a door prize when the car is parked yeah. there. And I learned that from uh, some messengers in Toronto. And oh, I understand really? they also use it in New York and maybe in Chicago. Getting doored? Yeah, get, well, both of those. Actually, both door are prize. used. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Got to be careful about door prizes. Uh, I always mm -hmm. think about that when I get That's out of the car. That's all the ones that I can think of off the top of my head, Leslie. 
Well, I'll keep thinking of them if we come up with any more. That's Thank a, you so that's much. Great. I love this insider <laughs> stuff, right? Yeah. I was just riding along and then uh, it broke on me. I don't I have no idea why the chain is wrapped around the wheel like that. Good stuff. Yeah. Leslie, thank you so much. You're welcome. Yeah, have a great day. All right, okay. bye-bye. Take, Take care. care. Bye. If you've got workplace jargon or anything more that, you know, slang we've never heard about bikes, we'd love to hear it. 877-929-9673. Email us, words at waywardradio.org, or find us on Facebook and Twitter. many times on the show about euphemisms when you're trying to call someone's attention to something but nobody else in the room um for example we might say uh, you have a bat in the cave uh, mm-hmm. for if you have something in your nose um or you know if you're if your zipper's down you might say xyz or something you know just something right you your say... monday is longer than your tuesday <laughs> right right for your slip yeah right, right. Mm-hmm. um and i came across a great one the other day in our beloved dictionary of american regional english um that goes, is your finger sore? Oh. And I just love it because it's it's sort of this great surreptitious way of saying, is your finger too sore to zip up your pants? Ah. But, but I'd never heard that before, and I, I just like how it, innocuous it sounds. <laughs> Send us your family euphemisms, 877-929-9673. Hello, you have a way with words. Hey, how are you doing? Good, who's this? This is Scott. Scott. Hi, Scott. How you doing? I'm doing very good. And where are you? I'm in Green Bay, Wisconsin. All right. Well, welcome to the show. How can we help? Well, you know, I'm attending school, and in there we're talking about plants, and my instructor had some handouts and a textbook he gave us, and in there they're often talking about the plants do not tolerate cold, and I'll spell the word out, D-R-A-U-G-H-T-S. Really? And I was like, is that a misspelling of droughts? Hmm. And I brought it up in class because the connotations is kind of purporting drafts, but it didn't make sense because the spelling was so off the wall. So I inquired about it, and he told me it's not D-R-A-F-T-S because that's what beer is, a draft. (laughs) And I laughed, the whole class laughed, but he says the proper spelling for draft is D-R-A-U-G-H-T-S. I have to ask, is your teacher from Britain? That's what I asked, and no, in fact, he is not. He's not? Hmm. No. Interesting. Is he pretentious? Well, he does drive a Volkswagen. That <laughs> <laughs> doesn't make him pretentious. Maybe he just likes the smell of diesel. <laughs> there you go. No, he's not pretentious. He's a very kind individual, caring. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Nice but he puzzle. spelled it the other way. So this particular kind of plant doesn't like drafts of air. Yeah. <laughs> Meaning cool air. Okay. They do not tolerate cold draught. Yeah, yeah. So you're you're confused because this is not a spelling you're accustomed to. Exactly. Just okay. like spelling color with a U. Mm-hmm. Well, you're right to mention color with a U because that's another Britishism. And anytime you see it spelled D-R-A-U-G-H-T, that's British. Although they always pronounce it draft. Yeah, it's not draught or yeah. draft. And in American English, it's always spelled with an F. Well, Whether I, you're talking about a draft of a check or... I hesitate to say always, but almost always. Really? Yeah. Like, where would you find it? Well, in a, in a botany class, for example. <laughs> in <laughs> <Wisconsin>. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, yeah, but but generally speaking, the American spelling is is F. It's always pronounced yeah. draft, no matter what. Yeah, it's something like ninety nine percent point nine nine percent of the time in the U.S. we spell it D R A F T. But I will tell you, what really goes through my mind when I first saw that word is draught. Well, exactly. So you're thinking yeah. of, of it being really dry, which has nothing to do with the other yeah. kind of draft. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Well, you know who's to blame for this, kind of? It existed before his time, but Noah Webster, the great spelling reformer in the, you know, the, in the New World, he championed the D-R-A-F-T spelling, and yeah. he is part of the reason that it is nearly universal here in North America. Very yeah. intriguing. The GHT actually represents an older pronunciation mm-hmm. that was kind of a uh, kind of like the the Scottish loch. Yeah, yeah, right. it's a Germanic. Yeah. Um, of course, the Latin word. language was pure joke. Of course. Oh, what? okay. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> hey, if you know Latin, you're going to have a great time in botany. Yes, I am having it, fun in botany. Is it botany or gardening? What what kind of class oh, is this? Landscape horticulture. Oh, okay, great, very mm. good. So, what kind of plant is it that can't stand cold drafts? Well, there's some plants like the Norfolk Island pine that really don't like the cold draft, but mm. most of them are like Ficus benjamina, if you wish to use a Latin term, or the Ficus benendi ichii. Mm-hmm. They Fig will plants. drop their leaves with a cold draught. <laughs> 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 Those are the kind that don't actually produce the figs, but they're related to figs, right? Right. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> you often see the, the weeping figs in all the offices. They're well overused. Oh, yeah, yeah. In restaurants, too, right? <laughs> yeah, but if you find them with the long leaves, that's an ollie fig. How do you spell ollie? A-L-I-I. Oh, I never would have guessed that. Okay. All right. Well, your teacher's wrong. <laughs> anyway. Okay, so just take that back to him. Maybe well, actually... you know, the Latin language that is used for botany and horticulture or naming any other taxonomy names is because it's a dead language. The meanings will not change. The well, problem we're having in a horticulture class is these bigwigs that are looking over the plants are finding that these plants don't belong in these families, and the names are changing anyway. Right. Mm-hmm. They're reassigning Latin yeah. names, right? Boy, does that confuse us that are learning it one way and we have to relearn everything. <laughs> that's, how you, that's how you successfully justify a second and third edition of a book. <laughs> well, you know, that really defeats the whole purpose of using a dead language. Hi. Hi. Welcome to language. Welcome to being part of the human race. We are variable, <laughs> to <Yeah>. say the least. <laughs> you are great. Thank you very much. Good luck in class, by the yeah. way. <laughs> All right. You have a great day. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. is the number to call with your questions about language or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Grant, do you know what onion snow is? Um, no. Is it something you can buy at Coney Island? Put it <laughs> or on your Whole hot, Foods? Put it on your hot dog? Oh, Whole Foods, yeah. In the bulk section. No, 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 no. It's a term that comes from Pennsylvania. It's used pretty much only there. And an onion snow is a light snowfall in late spring after you've already put out the onions. Ah, Isn't that see. beautiful? Yeah, I love that onion nice. snow. So the little green top sticking above the dusting. Exactly. That's mm. it. it. It's a, just a light dusting of snow, and it melts very quickly. And, yeah, you, you already see the onions coming that up. I think that's snow. so be- You that's know, somebody should write a book of poems and title it Onion Snow, don't you think? <laughs> Doesn't that sound like a book? 
Maybe. Title? Yeah. Onion Snow? I don't know. Sure. And it's sort of like Blackberry Storm. You know, I think of a Blackberry Storm as a telephone, right? But a Blackberry Storm in the South is a storm that happens after the blackberries have already started to bloom. Interesting. Great stuff, huh? Great Onion stuff. Snow. Yeah. And food related. Yes. Mm. Uh oh. <laughs> I can hear your stomach over here. 877 929 9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. More of your questions about language right here on Away With Words. Stay tuned. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. There's a video that went viral a couple of years ago, and Grant, I wonder if you've seen it. In it, this little one-year-old girl sits happily playing with an iPad, and she's hitting icons and shuffling them around, and you hear these little squeals of delight. And then in the next scene, you see her sitting in the same position, but this time she's looking at a magazine, and she's trying to do the same thing. It looks like she's trying to do the same thing, you know, (laughs) kind of swiping and pinching and poking at it and Mm -hmm. kind of touching her leg to see (laughs) if... uh, Her finger works. Yeah. Is this thing on? Yeah. (laughs) Is this finger on? Right. Right. And she seems frustrated. And the video is called, A Magazine is an iPad that does not work. Now, I like that. <laughs> maybe she thought it should work right. like an iPad, or maybe she was just being a baby, you know, mm-hmm, sure. just kind of touching everything. Um, but it raises a really good question about um, the fact that there's a lot that's wonderful about e-readers, but it still is a different experience from reading a book. Mm-hmm. And there was a fascinating piece in um, in Scientific American magazine recently. It was a roundup of a lot of the research, and it interested me because. A lot of the research that's coming out shows that your comprehension is pretty much the same when you read on an e-reader, but in many cases, um, the research showed it was slightly less than if you just read something in print. So let me guess. Is this because you have more interruptions? Uh, You get email in the middle of reading and you go check that, or is it because you're tempted by all these other applications, or... Is it because the something it, there's music playing in the background and the song changes and you want to go fix that? Well, you're zeroing in on what they're talking about in this article. One thing that they mention is just the feel of the uh, electronic reader itself, besides all the potential interruptions. What they call haptic dissonance, haptic mm-hmm. coming from the Greek word to mm-hmm. touch mm-hmm. or grasp, that there's just something different about reading something that doesn't feel like a book where you're turning the pages and you can see how far you've been and how far you have to go because with an e-reader you're still just scrolling this endless stream of text. But so many of them include that. They include a a bar on the side or the bottom that shows you how far into the text you are. Yeah, but I think what they're saying is is that for a lot of people it's just a different experience of sort of where you are in space in the space of the book and maybe you're spending a little bit of energy. I'm totally with you on that. I don't know if it applies perfectly but I have a very good spatial memory. Mm -hmm. I can 
usually find a passage that I'm looking for because I remember where in the page it was. Oh, I do too. Exactly. I mean, Which it, side of the it could two be, pages? It could be years and, yeah, yeah. ago, and yeah. I can actually find. I I may not remember exactly where in the book, but I know where in the page, which side of the page. Right, right. Yeah. I can too. I can picture exactly where it is. And I also saw some um, research in there. There was a study of college students, and almost 80% of them said that if they really want to understand something, they read it in a book okay, rather than. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and there there are other studies that show that people have very similar comprehension if they're reading on an ebook or a book, but then if they're asked to do other kinds of tasks afterwards, like memory tasks or mm-hmm. repetitive tasks, the ones who are reading on something electronic have a harder time, and maybe they're more fatigued somehow. Interesting. Yeah, it's I mean it's all very preliminary research, but um, I was reading this article online and I got more and more pulled into it, more mm-hmm. and more fascinated, and then I thought. Wait a minute! I got to print this out and read it because <laughs> there's so much there to understand, and and I did. That's exactly how I ended up reading it. I'm looking forward to reading those articles. We'll link to them on the website. We want your opinion. Do you find that you absorb more when you read on paper, or do you find that the ability to carry around hundreds or thousands of books on an e-reader outweighs whatever kind of loss there would be? Right. As somebody said on our Facebook page, paper or plastic. <laughs> <laughs> Paper plastic, 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. We're on Facebook groups, Facebook pages, and Twitter and Google Plus, and who knows what all. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is uh, Jared, and I'm calling from Dallas, Texas. Jared, welcome to the show. Hi, Jared, what's up? I have a question that I'm hoping will be awfully interesting um, for everybody listening. Okay. It actually, it, it deals with the word awfully, um, and how I would use that word as an adverb, because... The root of the word, obviously, is awful, which means, you know, really bad, horrible. But when awfully is used as an adverb, I often, you know, think of it in, a, in kind of a positive sense. Um, actually, what kind of spurred me on is I was reading an article, um, and it was a sports article, and I tend to, to see it used this way a lot in sports. Um, and a, a GM of an NFL team was talking about a guy leaving, and he said, you missed an awfully loyal, awfully qualified individual. And obviously, in that you know, since he's, he's complimenting the guy and yet using this word awfully that has a root that means something bad. And so I know from a definition standpoint, you know, you look at the definition of awfully and, and the, the first definition is basically just extreme, you know, mm-hmm. and so it's used to, to describe a, a, an adjective or a verb as extreme. But I'm wondering how that became the number one definition when the root word awful means something so bad, so negative. And so I was just hoping that you could help me unlock that, uh, that mystery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. We definitely can do that. Uh, awfully is a complicated word, as you say, but not just because it's changed once, but because it's changed twice. Ah. So we go, let's go back just a little further to awe itself. If I am in awe of Martha's talents, that means that... If? I, <laughs> if? We're, we're, what? We're going to be in awe of Martha's talents. Subjunctive? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> Let me just use another example. <laughs> yeah, talk about Jared. <laughs> we're in awe of the, um, you know, the Manchester United football team. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't call them a team, but I'm an American. Give me a break. Uh, were now I to be in awe of their skills, that would mean that I was amazed by them, that they were so good that I, I held them in reverence, right? right. And um, if I were awful in that particular sense, then that would mean that they, I was filled with awe at their abilities and their maneuvering and their skill. And then what we found, though, in the history of English is that awful kind of changed a little bit and became a little bit more about being an intensifier and less about talking specifically about awe. And that's what's happening in awfully as well. Awfully belongs to these class of intensifying words that 
describe um, an action usually or an event in such a way to indicate that it just means more of the same or simply put, very. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. what I like to do when I talk about this class of words is use the, the phrase good time. So I had an awfully good time. I had a whopping good time. Mm. I had a ripping good time. I a had a terribly good a time. A terribly good time. A roaring good time. I had a, um, you can go on and on. You can probably think of a bunch, a spanking good time, right? <laughs> and yeah. all of these intensifiers, what happens when they become intensifiers is that there's an incredible amount of what's known as da -da -da, semantic weakening or even semantic bleaching, where most of their meaning is gone. And all that's left is this one action where they simply mean more of the same. Or very. Yeah, yeah. You go back to the 15th and the 16th century and awfully means so as to cause terror terribly, dreadfully, <laughs> yeah. you know, and then it's, it's done a flip. But it's not really a positive because you can say, um, you are an awfully poor speller, right? So that's not positive. Yeah. It just simply means very. Hmm. And very itself actually underwent semantic weakening. Very used to mean uh, in truth or mm -hmm, truthfully, truthfully, right? And now it just means a lot or um, pile on some more or what, or what have you. Or I really, really mean this. And Jared, your instincts were right. It did start out as awfully, as we would think of awfully <laughs> being terribly. Yeah, well, at, but before that, it meant in awe. It was related to the word awe, right? And being in awe of somebody. In awe. And I actually need to give credit to somebody because uh, one of my friends, Ashley, who turned me on to you guys about two months ago, and I've been catching up on, on the podcast through the archives, her husband, actually, we were talking about this, and he said, he suggested that, that maybe it was originally, you know, it was originally awe and has undergone, you know, and has undergone a couple of changes like that. So yep. I have to give him credit because he, yep. was, he was kind of on point with that. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Very good. Uh, this is, Very cool. So what I, if you want to find out more about this, I would recommend looking up the term semantic weakening. Just Google that. You'll come across some highfalutin talk, but it should be comprehensible even to uh, somebody who doesn't have a specialty in linguistics. Is it highfalutin or awfully highfalutin? <laughs> <laughs> it, is, uh, it is frightfully highfalutin. <laughs> Embarrassingly highfalutin. Excellent. <laughs> Jared, thank you for calling today. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. Language is not logical. It's not math, no, right? No, it's not. So there are, there are these borders to the meanings of words that just kind of vaguely fade off they gradate into the distance, right? That's beautiful, <laughs> yes. Porous borders of porous, language. Porous borders of language. <laughs> Call us with your language question, 877-929-9673, and find us on Facebook and Twitter. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, Martha. Hi, Grant. This is Amber. I'm calling from Berlin, New Hampshire. Hi, Amber. Welcome to the show. Hi, Amber. Is that Berlin or Berlin? You know they pronounce it Berlin, like rhymes with Merlin. Okay, oh, okay. Berlin. Berlin. All right, very good. What can we do for you? <laughs> it's different, but um, I just started working at a prison, and there's a whole lot of terms that, some of which I've heard from, like, gang movies and some that um, are more military-related. Mm -hmm. Cool. But there's um, a term that I didn't know where it came from, and it sounds bizarre to me, and that's Sally Port. Sally Port. Um, yep, that's what they call, like, the doors that we go into that close behind us. Um, there's actually two doors, and, and only one of them is open at any given time mm -hmm. to kind of restrict, you know, entrance. And um, it just sounds so feminine to me just because of the word Sally that oh. it seems odd that it's a prison word. Uh -huh. These are like aviaries, the doors at aviaries at zoos, right? Two doors. Yeah, exactly, mm -hmm. yeah. So the birds don't get out? Yeah. Yeah. It's a word that has a long history, and it refers to um, things that are fortified, like a fort. You know, okay. that kind of building where you want to keep uh, people on one side or the other. 
and keep right. people from coming in and only letting your people out when you want to let them out. And yeah. um, as far back as the 1600s, a sally port in a fort, like a military fort, was uh-huh. the um, place where it was really fortified and people would go out of this safe place and do things to the enemy, you know, take their stuff or kill them or whatever. And it was a way of getting people in and out of the fort safely. With no risk of a surge of the enemy coming inward when you were going outward. Yeah. And the sally part comes Uh from, it goes all the way back to a Latin word, salire, which means to go out. To leave. To to leap forward or Mm -hmm. rush forward. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't have anything to do with... And then port is a word for door. Yeah. Yeah, like puerta in Spanish. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the sally part is about speed? It's about it seems go- like it just slows things down. No, you know it's about what I mean? exit. It's, it means leaving, actually. Yeah. Not about speed. Oh, okay. It's about the yeah. act of le- going from one place to another. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's like some, very interesting. Yeah, sometimes on doors you see salida, which means exit, you mm-hmm. know, in Spanish. Yeah. And uh, so it has to do with, with rushing out. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Well, cool. Thanks for calling, Amber. Glad to help. Thank you so much. All right, cheers. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We'd love to hear your sallies and repost. Give us a call, 877-929-9673. Email us, words at waywardradio.org. And we're all over Facebook and Twitter. Grant, do you know the expression, winkle out? Like, you might winkle out information from your teenager about what he really did mm-hmm. last night yeah, sort exactly. of to extract, or you can winkle out an incumbent in office. It's mostly a Britishism, and it comes from the idea of winkles, you know, those those uh, sea snails yeah. that are edible, mm-hmm. and how you have to uh, extract them, you know, oh, with some little, care. A little curving trickiness. motion to yeah, pull them yeah, out yeah. in one piece. Yeah, to winkle out. Mm, interesting. I love to winkling out the meaning of that expression. Mm, very good, winkling out. 877-929-9673. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, is this Grant and Martha? It sure is. Who's this? Hi, this is John Swenson calling from Danbury, Connecticut. Hi, Hi John. Hi, John. Welcome to the show. Oh, well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Big fan. I, I was calling regarding a, a family word gem that uh, has been kind of a stumper for our family. I've got two older, uh, I'm sorry, two older brothers and a younger sister, and when we get together, our parents are both passed on, we talk about a word called uh, ishpi. And I don't know if you've ever heard of this word before, but it's a, a word that we all, all of my family members have used growing up, and it, my parents used it with us when we were growing up, I should say, and then we've gone ahead and used it with our children, but we can't figure out where it comes from. Hmm. <laughs> it's I, I'm not sure I'm spelling it right. I, I think it's I S H, either P Y or P E E. Okay. If, if you're eating something as a child, my mother or father would say Ishpi. Ishpi. <laughs> and you you would know not to uh, touch or eat that. And my sister says it was even followed with a swipe with the finger gently through the mouth to make sure there wasn't anything in there that was ishpi. Mm. Oh. Now, why wouldn't they want you to eat it? Because it wasn't mealtime or because it was something it was they shouldn't have? Yeah, it was, as my sister says, it was either dirt, marbles, pennies, or <laughs> something on the floor, you right. know, food substance on the floor that shouldn't oh. be eaten. Ishpi. My parents were in the, rearing all of us in the 60s. I often thought it had something to do with not saying the word no to a child in early development, you know, as they're forming their words and mm-hmm. trying to, to bring a, a, 
the word no, not to repeat that, just use the word ishpi instead of, and they'll know immediately it has either to do with the mouth or something that's just not good to put in the mouth. Boy, I'm racking my brain here, John. I, I mean, I'm thinking, well, it's not really pig Latin. I mean, the only thing it that... sounds a little like pig Latin, like it could be, yeah. it could be pish, pish, which is a kind of an expression of disgust or contempt. Yeah. But that's a little strong. Yeah, maybe turning it into pig Latin takes some of the strength of the disgust away from it. Because yeah. it reminds me of ixnay in a way. Well, yeah, yeah, I would think it would be ish pay. But uh, John, the only other thing that I can think of is just the term ish which you hear in Minnesota and Wisconsin, particularly among people of uh, Norwegian or Swedish or Danish extraction. Ish means just, you know, something really disgusting, and it comes from, from terms in those languages that sound like that mm-hmm. term and, and mean, ugh, you know, something disgusting. Ew, that's ish. That just... sounds like it might, be, uh, might, might, might have some resonance here because my, my uh, grandmother and grandfather were both from Sweden. Oh, hello. Ah. Yeah, and they both, uh, well, they all raised, uh, they raised all of us, I should say, uh, you know, part of the time when we went over when mom and dad needed a break, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? <laughs> mm. Very interesting. So, you know, and then we even use it with our dogs, and the dog knows. <laughs> I just thought it was interesting. It's, it's always been there. It's a word gem we laugh about when we get together as a family on holidays and things. And mm-hmm. Where is that word? Where's, I said, you know what, I'm going to ask the experts. These folks might know, you know. I like Martha's theory a lot that it might come from Scandinavian languages, but I think we need to throw that this out to the rest of our listeners, don't you? Definitely. They'll definitely let us know. So if you use ishpi in your family as a term of, well, it means no, basically, or don't do that, yeah. let us know, 877-929-9673. That's ishpi. You can yeah. also find us on Twitter and Facebook. Just tell us what you know about the term. Well, thank you so much, and I uh, appreciate all the great work you do. Well, talk so make it. Thank you very <laughs> yeah, much, sir. Yeah, great job. Basagu. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Hey, okay. Hey, Dawa, John. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. <laughs> Take care. <laughs> That's awesome. Nice. A little Swedish there yeah. at the end of the call. I've been talking to some Swedish friends lately. Oh, very good. It comes back to you. Ishpi. It sounds like there's an an element of you know what you know. I love the strength that this term has in the family. If it Mm -hmm. is a family word, it's being passed to now what the third or fourth generation. And the dog. And the dog. (laughs) (laughs) This is great. This is fantastic. It could be a classic example of a family word that exists only for those people. But usually we find yep. family words have a larger connection to history, yep. the community, or even yep. whole regional kind of variation. So let's find out. Whatever you know, know about ISHP, 877-929-9673, or email us, words at waywardradio.org. Things have come to a pretty pass. That's the end of this week's show. For more Away With Words, including hundreds of episodes, a blog, a newsletter, a dictionary, mobile apps, and conversations with other listeners, go to waywardradio.org. Our phone line is open 24 hours a day, 877-929-9673. Emails great to words at waywardradio.org. We're also on iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, SoundCloud, and Google+. Our production staff includes Stephanie Levine, Tim Felton, James Ramsey, and Josette Herdell. Away With Words is produced and distributed by Wayward, Inc., a nonprofit supported by caring listeners and sponsors. Just as we do, they believe in lifelong learning, better human communication, and the value of a thing well-said or well-written. The show is recorded at Studio West in San Diego, California. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. So long. Bye-bye. Let's call the whole thing off. 
like potato and I like potato. You like tomato and I like tomato. Potato, potato, tomato, tomato. Let's call the whole thing off. 